0: podcast with your host, Nick Jaworski. We bring you the business of recovery because those struggling with addiction need you to be here tomorrow as well as today.
1: Today we're speaking with Colin Jeffries. Colin Jeffries is the Vice President of Marketing and Communications for Brightview, which is primarily an MAT provider, though they provide a number of levels of service and care. So we have not done an episode on marketing specifically within the MAT space, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we do that, I want to hear from our sponsors, the Global Exchange. The Global Exchange Conference 2022 is a four-day event of continuing educational presentations, workshops, and experiences from November 1st through the 4th. Located at Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida, this event, for the first time ever, brings together professionals and organizations from the mental health, addiction, and wellness fields. With over 100 continuing education hours presented by over 60 professionals, this promises to be a tremendous learning and networking experience. GXC 2022's featured speakers include Deepak Chopra, Whoopi Goldberg, Gabor Mate, and Rob Lowe. For more information, go to globalexchangeconference.com. Sounds like a fascinating conference, so excited to see that come together here in the fall. So as I mentioned today, we're talking with Colin. Known him for quite a while, and I've been to Brightview. I've seen their facilities. They're a very, very high-quality provider. Very impressive what they've been doing over there the past couple of years, and they've expanded to 60 facilities. I think when I first was there, there was only maybe 10 um, I don't remember exactly, but there's been some massive growth. And part of that has been because that they do marketing, which is something that a lot of MAT providers have just really started to get into. So Brightview was very much ahead of the game. They have a lot more data and a lot more experience than most of the other larger MAT providers in the country in terms of what works and what doesn't work. So I wanted to get Colin on for him to share his insights around uh, channel strategies and around how he thinks about you know, community referral partner marketing versus direct to consumer marketing. And as we'll talk about, there's a very, very big difference in the patients that seek MAT services versus those that seek a more traditional, maybe outpatient therapy or more intensive traditional rehab models and so you have to message to them differently you have to think about channel strategy very differently than you would traditional treatment models and so really really important to understand that and it's something that i can personally speak to saying that some providers struggle with as they expand to or get into the MAT levels of care. So we'll cover that pretty in depth, uh, give you guys a lot of information and actionable advice to be thinking about as you think about your own marketing strategies, or if you're thinking about incorporating or expanding into MAT. So with that, let's jump in. Mr. Jeffries, really appreciate you joining us here on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and
0: Brightview? Absolutely, Nick. Thank you so much for having me on. So a little bit of background about Brightview. Brightview was founded in 2016 to help address the addiction epidemic, primarily in the Midwest. It started in Cincinnati. So obviously, Ohio, kind of the epicenter of the addiction treatment or of the addiction epidemic. One of our co-founders was an emergency department doctor, and he would see these patients come in for addiction-related issues, and they would refer them out to care, and the patients would come back shortly thereafter. And he ran into a lot of issues related to Um, insurance not being accepted, particularly Medicaid, Medicare. He ran into issues with wait lists and issues with patients actually getting kicked out of the programs, trying to be treated for the disease with which they were struggling. And he knew there had to be a better way. So he kind of came together with a, a really good team initially and opened the first Brightview, like I said, in 2016, to try to mitigate those issues, to get rid of wait lists, to make sure that all insurances were accepted and that patients even without insurance could at least be treated for some period of time, really to help fix the addiction problem that that was being presented in emergency rooms at the time. I joined Braveview a couple of years after that in January of 2019. And my goal was to really stand up the marketing function working on both B2C, as you would say in the corporate world and B2B, messaging and language and understanding who the the patients and the partners and different stakeholders were and since then the team has continued to grow and we're just working hard to reach more patients with immediate access to harm reductionist evidence-based outpatient addiction treatment
1: well appreciate that overview let's start there that's a really good kind of a differentiating point that you talked about you know b2b versus b2c and the mat space how do you think about the different stakeholders or the different audiences that you're trying to reach from a marketing perspective?
0: For sure. So I like to think of basically different segments, right? I'm I'm a marketer. And so the way that I look at who I'm messaging to is using the language of segmentation. And so I I look at it as our partner segment, and there are some sub-segments within that. So the language that I want to use for Justice system-related stakeholders is different than the language that I want to use to reach, let's say, healthcare providers as a stakeholder group. And what really matters to them, generally speaking, is if I refer a patient to you, I don't want to see that patient again, right? <laughs> if they're justice system involved and I send them to Brightview, I want them to get better. I don't want them to be reincarcerated or to be rearrested or any sort of um, recidivism there. If they're a healthcare provider, generally what matters to them is if I send them in a bright view, I want to make sure that they're getting better they're not showing up in my emergency room, quote-unquote drug-seeking, or with infections or other things that can be related to um, substance use disorder. So what matters to them is slightly different. Generally with the justice system, they want to know that there's healthy reporting. With the justice system, they want to know that there's basically frequency of reporting, accuracy of reporting, things of that nature. Both of those stakeholder groups really want no wait lists. They want it to have a patient that they need to refer out, that they can refer out immediately. They don't like dealing with the issues of, well, what what insurance does that patient have? How soon can they get here? Or there's a 30-day wait list or something of that nature. They want to know, all right, if I call a provider, they're harm reductionist, they're able to see that person in virtually immediately. And I don't have to worry about, insurance incongruence, or anything of that nature. Now, when it comes to patients, patients don't care about reporting. (laughs) Patients do care about wait lists and transportation and things of that nature. And so the language has to be different. Patients want to know, generally speaking, if they're in active addiction and this is an early addiction treatment program that they're trying, meaning like I think the the average number that I read according to SAMHSA is that patients generally who enter long-term recovery try five addiction treatment programs. So that means that somewhere along the line, patients probably switch from one program to another program after they have achieved some level of stability. But as you can imagine, somebody who's in active addiction looking to, to feel better, they want to be seen and treated virtually immediately. So we really try to make sure that we understand what matters to stakeholders, patients, referral partners, subcategories of referral partners, and then leverage language around those items to those different groups.
1: Perfect. So, you know, I noticed there, and this is something that we see when we're doing marketing for different levels of care and different facilities is in the MAT world. Quality isn't necessarily the first um, feature or differentiator they're looking at. You talked about access to care, speed, insurance accepted, or the amount that they're going to have to pay. So do you see that as well, that in your messaging, that quality of care is obviously an important component, but it's not necessarily the first message that a potential patient will see, or even the first message maybe a community partner will see?
0: Unfortunately, that's exactly right. And I think one of the big reasons for that is in the addiction treatment space, we have, you know, joint commission certification and CARF certification, certainly, but it's it's pretty hard to stack rank addiction treatment programs and say, you know, this one has better outcomes than that one, because a lot of programs, unfortunately, are not publishing outcomes. Brightview, I'm proud to say, is an exception to that, where we do publish and we regularly update patient outcomes across a variety of factors. But unfortunately, it's hard for someone to look at a Brightview center and then any other outpatient, you know, addiction treatment center and say empirically, hey, Brightview has better outcomes. And what that leads to is that referral partners can't really rank us as addiction treatment providers at large on outcomes and on success metrics. Rather, they have to look at things like insurance compatibility, availability of space, immediacy of care what the model is. Is it a medication assisted treatment model? Is it a seven day detox model? Is it a PHP model, et cetera. But that's a, a very good observation.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I wanna, I wanna dig into that a little bit more. So view is unique and your role is actually fairly unique as far as MAT providers are concerned. So most MAT providers haven't even had a marketing function internally. It's fairly new, even, even on our end for Circle Social, like working with more MAT providers. It's only been happening over the past, I'd say year, year and a half. Uh, before that, no one really had an interest. And one of the differences that we saw was exactly what you are talking about, where patients patients looking for MAT often, they're, they're seeking it in crisis. It's a little bit different you know, where there's often a little bit more discernment, there's a little bit more time to make a decision-making process when you're looking at residential or IOP, especially on the commercial insurance side. But for a lot of MAT patients, they don't want to be sick, right? Or they've just got some kind of problem coming up. Maybe, maybe their kids are getting taken away. Maybe there's jail time. Maybe it's court ordered. But there's this immediacy that comes into it. And so they want to get in fast. They want to get in cheap. Um, and they want to know that they're not going to be sick and quality does come into their decision making process but all always down the line right after they've already admitted into the facility so i'm really curious in kind of your experience cuz you've been working in healthcare for a while right like how have you seen that need from the patient end in terms of what's important to them
0: that's exactly right patients care about how soon can you treat me um how much does it cost right a lot of them are used to the antiquated sort of cash and carry to to use a stigmatizing term in a lot of ways uh, methadone clinic or something of that nature where they show up with cash, they get their their quote-unquote treatment, and then they leave and they come back later. And, and so it really does matter how fast can they be seen. It also matters what's covered by insurance versus, like I just said, the, the traditional cash and carry method. And And it, outcomes, unfortunately, don't really matter. They Two patients who are in active addiction looking for treatment. So yeah, that we definitely have to be careful with that language and make sure that we understand what matters to them versus touting, you know, outcomes data or touting white papers that explain what we're measuring and why and that sort of thing. Patients don't care about that.
1: 100 percent. The challenge that we'll see with a lot of two providers, and I know that you've got a really good handle on this, is, you know, they'll they'll often want to promote, like, the holistic aspect of the program and the fact that they're doing comprehensive care. But really, a lot of the patients are just like, no, can you just get me my medicine as quickly as possible for a cheap cost? You know, and so that that disconnect happens. And then, as you know, from an SEO perspective, there's challenges. If you're talking about holistic, comprehensive care, you're less likely to rank for a Suboxone provider near me. <laughs>
0: you know, so you got to align those two pieces. That's exactly right. <laughs> Precisely. I mean, it's interesting because the model that matters to the industry, m- meaning you know, building up the therapeutic alliance and using different types of behavioral therapy and those types of things. Those matter. I mean, whether or not patients get better definitely matters, but it, it matters to us as treatment providers a lot more than it matters to patients who, to your point, might be looking for immediate local care.
1: Yep. And so here's another, It's a, I think it's somewhat of a controversial issue in the space, but a lot of providers that first start offering MAT are still kind of seeing abstinence and sobriety as a goal. And what we've seen with MAT providers is that only seems to be true for about 50% of patients. About 50% really just want to get off the opioids, and they're more than happy to continue marijuana use or meth use or alcohol. How how do you guys think about that? Because that is a pretty complex topic.
0: It is, absolutely. Um, Sobriety is a harm reductionist model, which means that if somebody was, you know, drinking a, a liter of vodka every couple of days or they were, you know, using um, IV opioids or something of that nature and they they reduce that activity or they replace that activity with something that's healthier, that's improvement. I mean, we are big believers in progress, not perfection, which is why we don't kick people out of the program for, um, you know, inappropriate urine screens or for uh, missing group therapy or something of that nature because that harm reductionist model is so important. Again, the way that I look at it is if people are getting better, then we continue to treat them, we continue to serve them, we continue to help them uh, continue to evolve and to heal because that's really important. It's unrealistic for us to expect somebody who's diabetic to, um, you know, work out all the time, change their eating habits, measure their um, carbohydrate intake every single day and, and constantly be um, kind of belateding them to make sure that they never slip up. And the same thing's true for pulmonary disease, right? A lot of times that's caused by um, smoking or something of that nature. And we don't kick people out of care because they, um, they didn't quote unquote kick their you know nicotine addiction or what have you rather we treat those people with compassion and so if they are getting better if they are making progress in bright view we want to help them continue to get better and continue to make progress and continue to heal in the same way that you would with any other form of medicine
1: yeah i think that analogy and comparison is 100 percent accurate and so I think two questions or two ways of looking at it. So one, you're absolutely right, right? Medication compliance is a big thing. Talk to any payer and they'll tell you that getting people to you know, comply with their diabetes or their pulmonary or their blood pressure medication um, is really hard. And then think of anyone going in the doctor. I mean, how many times does the doctor say, oh, you should probably lose some weight. You know, you should probably right. stop smoking. "you should stop eating red meat or sugar. You know, I mean, we're told all this stuff all the time and we don't necessarily do it or maybe do it as much as the doctor would recommend. Um. So why are we expecting that within the space of addiction? Then, So the second part there is the marketing question, right? So do you have challenges with a harm reduction approach and this kind of um, perspective in working with community referral partners? Do Do they see it differently or do they maybe not want to refer? Is there stigma around that perspective and how do you deal
0: with it? It's a great question. It really depends on the environment. And so in certain places, uh, so Brightview serves patients across seven states and we have uh, about 60 plus centers at the moment, which means that some communities are very MAT friendly. They're very harm reductionist friendly. Some communities are very anti-MAT. They really want that abstinence-only model. They really like the detox model and so it, it is challenging to try to align different communities with scientific evidence-based practice. What we've tried to do is really lean into one-on-one conversations around that. So we're not stepping in to try to say, hey, this entire philosophy in this community needs to change. We're stepping in and having conversations with particular stakeholders to try to help them let us do somewhat of a bake-off, right? Well, if you can send some patients to us and, and we'll put our harm reductionist model to work, you'll see that patients actually get better, that um, reports are actually going out, that patients are healing, that they're getting their kids back, that they're achieving jobs, that you know all of these success factors that we want to see are being accomplished in a harm reductionist model versus going in and just saying, you know, ah, this isn't going to work. We've seen this not work in other communities. What about
1: messaging around just length of time? I've seen that as a challenge, not just with community referral partners, but even internally in MAT providers with like therapists and clinicians where, you know, they're used to the traditional rehab model. They're used to someone, you know, being completely sober after 30 days, whereas, you know, in the MAT space, you're maybe getting a behavioral health session once a month if, you know, if they're really motivated, maybe once a week. Um, But progress is much slower, right? How do you work on communication
0: around that issue? Well, it depends on what you're looking at by progress, right? Progress in an outpatient MAT session appears to be slower because there's less control, right? I could pick you up from uh, Indianapolis and send you to Nashville and get you to change pretty much any behavior for 30 days. But the question is, when you return to Indianapolis, how does your behavior evolve? And how long are you maintaining that you know, sobriety or that recovery or that behavior change? And one beautiful thing about outpatient addiction treatment is that it empowers folks to recover locally, which means that they're able to to get their kids back. They're able to work within the justice system. They're able to work with local healthcare providers. So we see a massive uptake in patients interacting with um, things like primary care doctors, like the orthodontist or the dentist locally, which is excellent. That's indicative that they will have better longer term outcomes. We also see improvements in things like job readiness, improvements in education, improvements in achieving safe and stable housing, and then obviously reductions in risk factors like reductions in alcohol consumption, reduction in obviously illicit substance use, um, things of that nature. So yes, it is really difficult to look at an outpatient model and say, hey, 30 days in, this person may still be. Um, using illicit substances at some level. This person may still be um, spending time in trigger-heavy environments at some level. This person may still not be employed. This person may still not be spending lots of time with sober community, et cetera. You can look at all these risk factors, right? But we do know that over a long period of time, if we can empower people to recover locally, that really is... um, the the ultimate objective, right? Even when somebody is discharged from an inpatient program, the goal is not to have that person return to their old lifestyle. In fact, it's to have that person engage with a safe and stable place to live, to prepare for job readiness, and then to ultimately get a job, to find and uh, and receive, I guess, reliable transportation, to um, improve or continue their education, to if they've lost kids in some way to get those kids back uh, via the right channels through the justice system and things of that nature the goal is not for somebody to go to inpatient rehab quote-unquote rehab for 30 days and then graduate and miraculously get better if there was a way to do that that would be phenomenal but unfortunately there has to be some level of ongoing outpatient care at some level for an extended period of time even though it may look like progress is is slower for a particular time-constrained area when compared to inpatient care, but ultimately, if we're looking at success rates after 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, those types of things, patients who are engaged in an outpatient program empirically do better than patients who are not.
1: Yeah, great comments. And just a, just a little background for some of our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with MAT you know the patient population is largely medicaid 80 to 90% and so a lot don't have transportation or have transportation issues so you know most patients are coming from a 10 mile radius you know maybe up to 30 um if they can get there if there's not something closer And people on Medicaid are generally higher severity, more health issues, lack of support, lack of financial resources. You know, maybe no one they know has ever completed high school. They definitely don't know anyone that's been to college, potentially. You know, whether you're talking about an urban area in Cincinnati or, you know, a holler in Appalachia, there is a very different population coming in. From commercial insurance, it has a lot more resources or the ability to maybe make progress faster, too sometimes. And I think it's important for providers to remember the just the multitude of obstacles that people are facing. And if you have more issues, it's going to take longer to to solve them.
0: Oh, I think that's that's really good commentary. Context is everything, right.
1: So in your role, are you overseeing like community outreach in terms of like traditional what we call business development as well as digital and traditional media, or what's what's within your purview?
0: Sure. Yeah. So a lot of the messaging and things of that nature fall under my purview. I don't oversee our outreach team specifically, but there's definitely a lot of synergistic um, conversations that go on as the marketing team supports the the outreach team. How do you think about uh,
1: channel channel strategies for your community outreach versus your direct to patient
0: outreach? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, every marketer has to think about channels, right? And we have to have a lot of deliberation and intentionality when it comes to our channel mix. So I really think of channels to how they correlate to our objectives. So if I'm using, let's say, pre-roll video ads, the goal is likely to build awareness for a, a new center or to build awareness in a community where we're just not well known for some reason. If I'm leveraging a channel like Um, search engine marketing, my goal is to drive conversions because it's much lower in the funnel. So it it really depends on what are the unique challenges that we're facing? How do we plan to overcome those challenges? In other words, what's the ultimate objective? What's the strategy to get there? And then my, my channel choices may change slightly depending on how I'm trying to achieve those goals.
1: Okay. And then how do you think about budgeting across those challenges in terms of what you're allocating where?
0: Sure. So obviously, the the budget fluctuates again depending on what the goals are specifically. So if if there's a particular challenge that we're facing in one market, and there's a different challenge that we're facing in another market, the budget allocation is going to look different contingent on obviously what those specific challenges are. So if I'm fighting the battle of awareness, I'm going to have more dollars shifted into a broader reach type of media, if I'm looking at more conversions because we are well-known in the community, well-liked, well-respected, patients are having good experiences, they're bringing friends, family, people they used to use with into treatment, then that allocation looks different because I'm trying to solve a different problem. And I know that's a really like high level kind of generic answer, but that's probably the the easiest way to put it in, in this type of format.
1: Sure, and then you mentioned opening a new facility was slightly different. So what's different about that, a new facility versus an existing
0: one? Definitely, so newly opened facilities lean a lot more on marketing initiatives versus like an established center. As you can imagine, a a center that's been open for a year, two, three years, they they have patients that are coming in that are having a good experience, they're bringing in family, they're bringing in friends um, to start treatment. And so we're less reliant on particularly digital channels to reach new audiences because we have that patient volume that's um, uh, beneficial to our our overall census. Now, a, a new center doesn't have that because obviously we, we start with close to zero patients, if not zero patients. And so when I'm looking at a new center, I'm really trying to solve the awareness problem. And that that looks like us Basically going out, finding people who are in active addiction and uh, digitally, obviously, and uh, routing them to bright
1: Perfect. So let's let's dig into that a little bit, because. So most MAT providers, um, as I mentioned in the beginning, like you're one of the few that actually has a marketing director role and allocates budget to marketing. And you guys have been doing that for several years, you know, um, at least since I've known you, which is ahead of the game for every other large MAT provider out there. Um, Most of the other large MAT providers have literally just started in the past year or so, even thinking about marketing, much less having a dedicated role and um, budget allocated to it. So why, why why do you think that was important to Brightview? And why did you guys include that so early versus maybe competitors?
0: Absolutely. I think the big thing is that Brightview is a really cutting edge organization. And we recognize trends and try to be proactive for those trends. And it's very clear that messaging, understanding your customer base, understanding the needs of your stakeholders is paramount to success in every other vertical why is that not true in addiction treatment? And so a lot of respect goes out to the founders because they saw that that was a need and that was um, a, a marketplace that was becoming more and more competitive and that the patient experience was getting worse and worse. You know, I, I've done uh, focus groups and had conversations with patients, and they'll tell me that they've been hung up on five, six, seven, eight times before they were able to find a treatment provider that was willing to help them because they were on Medicaid or because they were uninsured or something of that nature. And and so one of the big things that uh, Brightview recognized when they brought me in and empowered me to build our team and everything is that we have to be very cognizant of what matters to stakeholders and we have to be very cognizant of the patient experience. So I think those are the the big things. But then ultimately, you know, we want to fight the addiction epidemic. And the only way to do that is to effectively put messaging out there that galvanizes people to really act in a lot of ways against their biological inclinations. When you are addicted to a substance like opioids or stimulants, your biological inclination is to get more of that substance. So bringing in High level marketers and people that understand stakeholders and micro segmentation and messaging and distribution channels and marketing strategy in a lot of ways is crucial to getting that message that that galvanizes action out to the right people at the right time in the right environments to help them go from active addiction to active recovery.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100% agree. I mean, there's two components there that I've seen in the MAT space Is One, there's just this reliance on word of mouth, right? And being a Medicaid facility, you will eventually fill up. As word of mouth builds, you'll see more and more patients coming in, and then generally that, that will um, grow to a level that is... Good enough for the facility, but that also exists in an environment of limited to no competition, which has been the reality for MAT for you know quite a while, and that's changing, right? There's a lot of big players in the MAT space now, and so just like happened in addiction treatment, just like with what happened with uh, psychiatric Actors hospitals when they were the only game in town, it was easy, but then now that there's a lot of competition, they need to market. So, there's that perspective I think that you guys were smart and prescient on. Um, and it's shown in your results, right? I mean, you guys have grown to 60 facilities plus much faster than a lot of other providers. But then that second point that you mentioned is so important. You know, I mean, there's, I think there's a duty and an mission on the side of a provider, um, whether it's MAT or any other level of care to try to reduce stigma, and then to encourage people to seek treatment. And you can't do that if you're just Sitting on your hands and waiting for people to find you or relying on someone else to randomly tell their friend or tell their neighbor. You know, so I really applaud you guys for for taking that extra step.
0: Excellent. I really appreciate that.
1: We were talking a little bit about opening new facilities. What about site selection? Are you involved in that process from the marketing end of things when you look to open a new facility? And if so, how?
0: Absolutely. So marketing is involved at some level. I mean, it's contingent on available real estate, market saturation, uh, various indicators of need. Uh, So marketing has um, some input related to, you know, doing uh, research as far as search volume and other factors determining what we can do to drive patient volume. So if it's a search desert, meaning we're looking at, say, Dover, Ohio, there's not a lot of search volume in Dover, Ohio for anything because of the population size. So that allows us to strategize and say, all right, if we have to drive patient volume in Dover, Ohio, what do we need to do if there is not a lot of search volume? So we, we really try to be involved at some level in understanding how will we get the message out, assuming that we can find Available real estate that's zoned appropriately, that's compliant with the NIMBY, not in my backyard laws and that vary by state and all of those things. So we, we definitely are involved, but there are way, way more factors than just, you know, hey, is there healthy search volume in this area?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I love that comment because I, I come across it all the time, obviously, in my world, you know, where people are like, well, you know, we're we're a little bit lower in census. We want more. Let's let's double the Google ads budget this month and throw another hundred thousand at it. Right. And you're like, well, you know, there is limited search volume. And so your comment there is fantastic because, right, if you're in a small little town, there's just not a lot of people searching for it. But even if you're in a big city, you know, if there is one hundred searches a week, whether you have one hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars going in that budget there's only hundred searches. That's all you got. <laughs> so the budget doesn't exactly. affect your ability to, to reach more people from a search standpoint. I think that's important for, for people to understand.
0: <laughs> if only it were that easy. Right. <laughs> <Spend more> money, <laughs> right. Get more I know. Right.
1: Yeah. You just spend more money and then there's more admissions. It's like, well, no, there's actually, you know, this this limit here in terms of search and you i was actually just talking to matt boyle over at landmark on one of our recent episodes and he had a really interesting comment that i actually had not thought about before i'm curious of your reaction to it but he made the comment that you know really a lot of people don't even necessarily know what to search for am i searching for like if i'm searching for mat who really knows what MET is, if I'm a potential patient living in an urban area, you know, maybe only have a high school education. So they found that in Louisville, they had more people searching for landmark recovery than they did have people searching for addiction treatment or drug rehab. And so that kind of factors into your search and your paid media and your outbound community messaging because they might not even know what to look for if they're trying to find you.
0: That's exactly right. In recognizing that, you know, that there are Shifts in search trends as well. You know, I think Q4 of 2021 was the first quarter where fentanyl had higher search volume than heroin or opioids or opiates or any other related term. And so adjusting the strategy based on changing search trends is really important. Also, you you can't say, hey, this worked really well in 2019 and 2020. Therefore, it's going to work well in 2022, 2023. I mean, it's an evolving marketplace. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. People sometimes think marketing's like set it and forget it. And you can't. It's always evolving. It's always changing, whether it's the platforms or the Google algorithm or patient trends. You know, and I think, you know, to your point, you also have to be careful in, in the type of messaging and how you think about it, because like we've had a couple of M.A.T. providers that want to switch to M.O.U.D. Right. Has been kind of the new SAMHSA recommended term for M.A.T. So they want to move away from it. But what patients are understanding and searching for is different than what SAMHSA may be advocating at any given point in time. So, you know, you've got to balance patients' potential understanding of your message with what you see as maybe a positive trend in the field.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: We were talking about the different facilities and new and old, like what what about from just kind of a marketing perspective overall and stepping back a bit, do you look at it as across the organization? Do you look at it as a more per facility level? Like how do you think about focusing your time and focusing your budgets?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. So generally it's more per market. Um, as you can imagine, some markets we had multiple facilities. And that's really based on the different contexts of patients, providers, partners, uh, community sentiment, those types of things. So that really impacts what our specific goals are in those communities and then how we approach marketing and outreach and those types of functions within those specific markets. But as we talked about, the sentiments are different by market, and so what I do in Central Ohio is probably a lot different than what I do in, you know, Southern Kentucky or in Eastern Virginia or something of that nature.
1: Okay, uh, and then we touched on this a little bit, but I kind of want to explore it a bit more. Is the the branding potential aspect of things? Because you know, so we talked about a lot of MAT patients. If we're doing direct to consumer. Um, are really looking for treatment like now, right? They they get into a crisis moment, they wanna get into a facility. So do you do any kind of branding work from a marketing standpoint? And how do you think about that?
0: For sure, so I think branding is really important to referral partners. Having the reputation as the largest addiction treatment provider in Ohio and other validators like you know Joint Commission Gold Seal, CARF certification, et cetera, that is really important for them to understand who we are and what we stand for as a brand. For patients, they don't really care if we're, you know, gold seal or joint commission certified or, or anything like that. You know, like we talked about earlier, they want to know, "Hey, are you local? Can you see me today? Can I get medication soon?" Those types of things. So, our branding strategy really depends on what the audience is and candidly how much a strong brand really matters to them. I mean, you gave the example of Landmark seeing higher search volume for their brand name than they were seeing for general terms in a particular market. And so if we start to see that, that means we're doing a really good job branding, whether that's intentional branding with referral partners or maybe more subtle, more coincidental branding with uh, potential patients.
1: Sure. Uh, What about alumni? Do you guys do any kind of um, focused activities or focused marketing for, I mean, alumni is a little bit different in the MAT world, right? Because you have patients coming for potentially years. But how do you think about that aspect of working with, you know, maybe existing patients?
0: Sure. So alumni is really not a focused segment for us at this point in time. Um, it, It may be. At some level but really right now we're just primarily focused on um, patient volume and things of that nature versus uh, people who have gone through the program and getting them back and keeping them engaged and that sort of thing I, i do think that's a little bit more applicable to inpatient or php programs where the there's a particular completion date if you will right congratulations you made it through the program and then uh, staying engaged and staying in touch with those alumni too. in a lot of situations measure outcome data um, basically to val- validate that the program is working well over a long period of time those sorts of things for us you know we're, we're measuring outcomes data over 12 plus months with patients under care and so to to have a quote-unquote alumni group at this point is just not um not important to us from a outcomes data perspective
1: what about just kind of retention in general? So you mentioned earlier that patients tend to bounce um, and that's pretty common in the N- MAT space. Um, do you guys look at that at all from a marketing communications perspective and trying to keep people connected or maybe um, you know just following the program?
0: Sure, yeah, I mean, we have tactics to try to make sure that patients do stay involved in the program once they start, but there's just a lot of difficulty around getting empirical data from Uh, patients who exit the program AMA and recognizing, you know, did they exit the program because they were incarcerated? Did they exit the program because they moved for a job opportunity or for something else? Did they exit the program because they went to another provider? Uh, As we talked about earlier with the Medicaid population, it can be difficult to get in touch with them, period. And then after they exit the program for any number of reasons, the likelihood of them actually responding to us goes down dramatically. So there it's, it's just a, a communications challenge, I would say. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I mean, people change numbers, they change addresses like water sometimes.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: But what about like social media in general, just as a comment, you know, cause sometimes I'll get the comment like, Oh, well, you know, people on Medicaid aren't using social media, you know, what are your, what's your response to that?
0: Sure. Yeah, we've been fortunate enough to do some focus groups and some surveys and, um, you know, lots and lots of one-on-one conversations with patients to figure out if they're using social media, what platforms they're using, how they're using those platforms, um, really time spent on those platforms, and then how that usage evolves over the course of their recovery. It's pretty interesting because there's a lot of Uh, academic and research being done that proves that the duration of time spent on platforms like Facebook and Instagram leads to increases in anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, etc. And so there's this unique balance as addiction treatment professionals and behavioral and mental health professionals, where if we're running Facebook ad campaigns, we're actually supporting and that leads to a lot of mental health issues. And we know this based on a lot of of research and there's an increasing body of research that's proving this. There, there has to be a balance, I think from a, an ethical perspective as marketers where we have to draw the line and say, just because an audience is spending time on a social media platform does not necessarily mean I should be spending ad dollars on that social media platform. Because I'm actually at some level culpable for the decreases in mental wellness and the increases in mental illness that are occurring because that platform is hiring neurologists and engineers and UX design experts to build platforms that are increasingly addictive and that are increasingly um, negatively impacting our mental health. So I, I just say that as a word of caution to my fellow marketers and my fellow executives in the behavioral and mental health space, that just because there's an audience on a platform does not necessarily mean that we should go throw dollars at that platform.
1: Yeah. It's a really interesting comment. And you're definitely opening up a topic for a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um I was just going to mention, yeah, you know, I'm on the board for this nonprofit up in Chicago, and we serve largely the homeless population. And we just ran an assessment, I don't know, I want to say it was six months ago now, but we actually found out that, like, 80% of our patient population is using Facebook on a regular basis. They all have phones, and actually, if you're on Medicaid, you get a free phone, so people don't realize that. And then, you know, if you want to look at it from a negative perspective, they'll sell that free phone every three months and then get a new one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but they have a phone um, and they usually get free Wi-Fi access from somewhere, right? Whether it's the shelter that they're there or hanging outside of McDonald's. So they tend to use these platforms, whether it's searching on Google or checking their Facebook profile. So even people that don't necessarily have resources are still using these
0: platforms. Um, and I would guess, Nick, that you probably found that most of them are using things like WhatsApp versus mm-hmm. traditional texting platforms because you could run WhatsApp off of free Wi-Fi, yep. right, from McDonald's or from a homeless shelter or what have you versus having to have a cell a plan or a prepaid plan.
1: Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, so we notice like just kind of a casual anecdotal, but when I ask people, they tend to use a lot of Facebook message for that exact same reason. That makes sense. So we've covered a lot of ground here. I think super helpful I mean, we haven't done an episode on MAT specific marketing. So, you know, really valuable having you on. Any final thoughts on something that we didn't cover that you think is worth discussing?
0: Yeah, the only thing that I'll say is I think marketing, it's not just about getting the phone to ring. It's about handling people on the phone well, about helping them actually arrive at the center, about empowering them to recover and ultimately maintaining better, healthier, more successful lives. So I I would kind of ask if you are an executive at an organization that does not take Medicaid, please make sure that you're handling Medicaid calls appropriately, that you are connected to local providers, maybe like Brightview, that can treat patients quickly that do accept Medicaid instead of hanging up on those patients. Um, And and I know that's getting better, but I can't tell you how many patients I've had conversations with, where you know they they are trying actively to get into treatment to get help, and instead of intentionally overdosing or um, or even worse than that, but but they just they can't get help, and it's really frustrating, and it's just a, a poor experience. So we we're all trying to fix the addiction epidemic at some level in our own ways whether that's php or inpatient or outpatient or anywhere else on the spectrum so i think there's a lot of opportunity for us as executives and addiction treatment providers to collaborate to really meet the needs of this patient population
1: yeah great insight so if someone does want to get in touch with you or just you know maybe ask you some more questions about that particular topic what's the best way to get in touch
0: Absolutely. So you can learn more about Brightview. You can refer patients. You can connect to us at brightviewhealth.com. Um, LinkedIn is my social media of choice because I don't want increases in anxiety and depression. So thoughts. stay off of Facebook and Snapchat. Uh, but you can find me on LinkedIn, just linkedin.com slash in slash Colin Jeffries, or uh, my link tree is slash rethink marketing thank you so much for your time, Colin. I really appreciate it
1: for our guests. This is the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski, and we'll see you next time.
0: Nick, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Really enjoyed today's conversation.